Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bevel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It's day 416 of our three-year journey through God's Word that brings us to 2 Samuel chapter 4. We're in kind of a, a dark time period and the transition between Saul's dynasty and David's. Uh, and so today, as you can see in the title of the chapter, Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, is going to be murdered. So let's pray and ask God's help as we dig into this chapter together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. It is truth. These are the words of eternal life. All scripture is breathed out by you and is useful. So Father, would you use your word in our hearts today to show us more of Christ and to help us follow you more faithfully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 4. When Ishbosheth, Saul's son, heard that Abner had died at Hebron, his courage failed, and all Israel was dismayed. Now, Saul's son had two men who were captains of raiding bands. The name of the one was Baena, and the name of the other was Rechab, sons of Rimon, a man of Benjamin from Beeroth. For Beeroth is also counted as part of Benjamin. The Beerothites fled to Gitam and have been sojourners there to this day. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. Now the sons of Rimon the Berethite, Rechab and Banna, set out, and about the heat of the day, they came to the house of Ishbosheth as he was taking his noonday rest, and they came into the midst of the house as if to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and Baana, his brother, escaped. When they came into the house, as he lay on his bed in his bedroom, they struck him and put him to death and beheaded him. Then they took his head and went by the way of the Arabah all night and brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron. And they said to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy who sought your life. The Lord has avenged my lord the king this day on Saul and on his offspring. But David answered Rechab and Benah and Bana, his brother, the sons of Rimon the Berethite, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life out of every adversity, when one told me, behold, Saul is dead, and thought he was bringing good news, I seized him and killed him at Ziklag, which was the reward I gave him for his news. How much more when wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house on his bed, shall I not now require his blood at your hand and destroy you from the earth? And David commanded his young men, and they killed them, and cut off their hands and feet, and hanged them outside beside the pool at Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner at Hebron short chapter there, 2 Samuel chapter 4, pretty much just one event happening here, and that is the murder of Ishbosheth. 
as I said, this is a, a dark time in Israel's history. And as I said yesterday, when we were looking at chapter 3, the Bible is just very realistic. Uh, some people think that the Bible is all pie in the sky, by and by, and such an unrealistic book and has nothing to do with real life. But the Bible is, is brutally realistic about human nature and about human sin. And here we have a, a very, you know, troubling political conspiracy. You've got these two guys, and they were captains of raiding bands. If you understand what raiding bands did, and the fact that Ishbosheth had raiding bands, and that he trusted these guys to be captains of raiding bands, you know there's a whole lot of sin going on here. There's a whole lot of ugliness going on here, because a raiding band is not like they're just, you know, going around throwing parties and handing out presents. They are going into uh, the lands of the enemy, and they're seizing plunder, and they're killing people along the way, and they're bringing back loot uh, to enrich uh, Ishbosheth. So these are not men of good character. And so one of the lessons that we can learn from this is be careful of the company that you keep, right? If you're keeping uh, company with bad characters because you think that somehow they're going to enhance your life or make your life better off, that's not good. One of the ways we might learn from this today is that we, in our day and age, we can expose ourselves to all sorts of very unsavory uh, characters and unrighteous deeds and things through the entertainment that we watch. And sometimes we can watch and be entertained by, you know, people killing and people, you know, engaging in sexual immorality and people cursing and lying. And, and we can become so saturated in it that it really pollutes our mind. We think we're getting a benefit of being entertained by it, but really it's not good. And so we need to be careful of the company that we keep. That's one of the lessons that we can learn here. But another lesson, probably the bigger lesson, was the shocking news that these sons of Rimon got when they arrived at David's, and that is they have the head of Ishbosheth, and they thought, you know, David's a man of war, David's seen blood, David's seen decapitated uh, heads or heads severed from their bodies. He, he'd been through all this. He's been through years and years and years of war. And they think he's going to be happy. He's going to see the head of his enemy. He's going to say, you guys are great. I'm going to make you captains of my raiding bands. I'm going to give you gold. I'm going to give you wives. I'm going to give you... No, that is not at all the reception they got. The reception they got instead was, you guys are wicked men and you've killed a righteous man in his own house on his bed, and I'm now going to require his blood at your hand and destroy you from the earth. They were not expecting to hear that. They thought that the ends justified the means. They thought that David would be a man of political calculation, of self-interest, who would be able to see that the ends justify the means. You've got an enemy. He's in your way. You can't reign as king over all of Israel until he's removed out of the way. And here they've done your dirty work for you. David should have been happy. He should have been grateful. That's the way their mind was thinking. But not David. Notice how David, even in the midst of all this sin, even in the midst of David's own sin, notice how in verse 9, David is showing himself to be a man after God's own heart. The first words that he says in answer to these two wicked men is, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life 
out of every adversity. David never sold out to an ends justify the means kind of mindset because he always credited the Lord with being the one who had rescued him, redeemed him out of every adversity. He knew that his, his life was in the Lord's hands. He knew that the Lord had promised to make him king, and he was trusting in the Lord to bring that about in the Lord's timing. And hey, if he could run from Saul for like 20 years and not raise his hand against Saul when he twice had an opportunity to kill him, David was not going to take things into his own hands and make things happen. And that's one of the key lessons in scripture is the ends don't justify the means. And another way to think about that is because you think something is God's will or you think it would be good for you or good for those around you, you don't, you don't just take matters into your own hands and, and make it happen by whatever means necessary. Like, well, yeah, I have to cheat here a little bit. I have to lie a little bit here. I have to be a little bit dishonest, but I'm going to achieve this thing in the end, which is going to be so much better. You know, the end that I'm seeking is going to be so much worth the little compromises I have to make along the way. And David, David's not going to have any part of that. Now, David's not sinless. Of course, there are times in his life when he does blow it. But he is showing us a good example here of someone who's in a very difficult situation. He's in a civil war. Uh, the king of Israel is against him. He's been promised the throne. He is the rightful Lord's anointed king. And yet he's willing to wait patiently for the Lord. He's willing to trust the Lord. He credits the Lord with being the one who has redeemed him out of every adversity. And that allows him in this circumstance to uphold justice. Justice says that these men who committed cold-blooded murder are subject to the death penalty. That's what the law of God would say, and that's what justice would demand. And so that's what they receive. They may have thought they were just doing a, a, a favor to David, but what they were actually doing was committing cold-blooded murder of an innocent man. And that was what they got in the end. Where do we see Christ here? Well, Christ is the one who has actually redeemed our lives out of every adversity. He has redeemed our life from the pit, from death. He's redeemed our soul from sin and condemnation. He's redeemed us from the oppression of our enemies. And he will bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. He is the Redeemer. So whenever we see redeemed in the Bible, we should immediately think about Jesus, who is the one who has redeemed us. And that should empower us to maintain our faith in Christ, despite challenging circumstances, and not give in to the temptation to compromise, to make things happen the way that we think they should, by our own power or strength. We should wait upon the Lord, and we should trust in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, show us what it means to wait upon you today. We may be dealing with a frustrating circumstance that we don't understand why we're having to deal with it. It may just seem wrong, and we may just be tempted to take action and do something to, to make it go away or, or make things right by our own power and according to our own wisdom. But that is not what we are called to do. We are called to trust in you. We are called to walk in obedience. And we are called to wait upon you. Help us to do that today. Help us to walk with Jesus by faith, 
trusting our Redeemer. He has redeemed us from sin and death and hell forever. He will redeem us out of every trouble for his glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's 2 Samuel 4. Thanks for joining me for this devotional today. Tomorrow we're back to the Gospel of Mark, which means our intern Mike Tolercio will be back. Hope you can join us for that. As always, have a blessed day in the Lord.